is a mighty king riding on his white horse, contradictory in your mind to a shepherd seeking his sheep? I hope it's not. I hope that you can think of our Savior in all of the word pictures that he gave us of himself. He is a shepherd. That is a word picture. That is a metaphor for us. Because as a shepherd cares for his helpless sheep and leads them to pastures and beside still waters and protects them with his rod and even in the valley of the shadow of death when the wolves are looking from the thickets, he is our shepherd. But he is also our king. He's our savior and our Lord. And this morning I want to comfort you simply with some further thoughts about Jesus loves losers. I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, where we have for us recorded Jesus Christ seeking that short little man named Zacchaeus, whom we considered briefly last Lord's Day, who climbed up into a sycamore tree because Jesus was coming by that way. And the Lord Jesus stopped and ignoring the multitudes around him, said, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to go to your house today. Now, brethren, he's already said to us this morning, if you believe the word of God, he has already said to us, seek ye my face. Right. And I hope that we've answered thy face, Lord, will I seek. Amen. I want to tell you that he's also said to us this morning, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open to me, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. That is an individual relationship that you can have with the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not talking about you getting born again by inviting Jesus into your heart. And I am not describing a long-haired, effeminate, greasy hippie standing at that door trying to gain entry to a heart which which is shown in so many pictures. I am speaking of a white horse that is tied at the rail and the king of kings is at, is at that door asking if you want to come and have fellowship with him in his pavilion. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. And he comes for losers. Amen. He said, as he concluded his exchange with Zacchaeus, he said in Luke 19 and 10, for the son of man, that is our king and our shepherd, the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen Amen and amen. I want us to think this morning, instead of putting all of our emphasis on the word lost, that Jesus came for losers because Zacchaeus was a loser. He was a betrayer of his nation. He was short. He was despised by the people. He was an extortioner. He was a loser. And we looked at losers, and we're going to look at more this morning. But I want us to focus as well on the word seek. Because the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. What if he just came for the lost if they would seek him? That wouldn't be good enough, brethren. It wouldn't be good enough. Because on our own, we don't seek him. We seek our own things. We look out for number one. We're selfish and worldly oriented. But he came to seek and to save. Not just to seek them, but also to save them. He's going to lose not one of them. He's going to find every single one. 
The Lord Jesus Christ will never be disappointed. He finds every single one that He seeks for, and He saves them with an everlasting salvation. And if you'll run to Jesus Christ today in your thoughts and in your heart, and if you'll tell Him that you love Him and that you want to serve Him, He has already found you, and He will continue to find you. Zacchaeus was was an example from this chapter. But the Son of Man came and sought Him and saved Him. Because He said today, His salvation come to this house. Now what makes a man give away half of what he owns and tell anyone that he's ever wronged when he's wronged a whole lot to come and bring their grievances and He'll restore fourfold? What does that to a man? The Lord Jesus Christ does that in the work of salvation. It changes a man that much. Satan wants you to doubt that Jesus Christ will accept you as you are. See, we don't believe in accepting Jesus so much as Jesus accepting us. And He will accept you as you are if you come in repentance, acknowledging that you are nothing and lost and undone without Him. Satan does not want you to believe that. Satan wants you to believe you have to make yourself better before you can come. And if you believe that lie... You will never come because you will never be better. He wants you to live a defeated and hopeless life. And you don't have to be defeated by your sins. You can overcome your sins by confessing them and going right to the Lord Jesus Christ because He'll receive you again. Why do you think we're told about Peter? Why do you think we're told about Peter? Should Peter have known better? Was Peter warned? Had Peter been taught about the very thing he was going to do? Within 24 hours... And he sinned quickly. It's incredible. But why are we told about it? Who did Jesus want to see first of all of the men? What apostle did Jesus want to see first of all after he rose from the dead? Peter. Does the Bible want to tell us that? Yes. When Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene first of all, he said, go and tell Peter and the the disciples that I'm risen from the dead. A word of comfort for Peter, for Simon Peter. That is the Lord that we deal with. No one in here should hesitate about running to the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you know what? Every single day, every single one of us needs to run to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is not a salvation message, as so many would use Revelation 3.20 and Luke 19.10. It's a salvation lesson in the way we understand that word. We need to go for Him for the practical salvation of being united to Him again in fellowship today. And if you tell me I'm already in fellowship with Him, I tell you there's higher ground. If you tell me you're already in His pavilion, I'll tell you there is a secret tabernacle in which you can enter if you'll run to Him today. And He wants you as you are. Not when you are better, but when you are worst. He will take you as you are. You can come to Him today. And I want you to, and I want to. I have, I will. Will you with me? He asks us to seek His face. Let's go to Him today and know that He takes us as we are. How glorious. How glorious. Look at Luke 15. Back a few pages to Luke 15. Luke 15. Yes, this is a little bit of review from last Sunday. But I want you to realize that he is speaking these three parables to the Pharisees and scribes. It tells us in verse 3, And he spake this parable unto them. 
And that them is a plural pronoun. So we want to look back into verse 2 and we find Pharisees and scribes. The story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the prodigal son were directed against the Pharisees who resented Jesus for dealing with sinners. And religious people will do the same today. They will rail on those who sin. They will remember their sins. They will remember their sins for decades. They will preach about their sins, talk about their sins, and write about the sins of others. And so it was with the Pharisees. Look what it says in verse 2. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. How horrible. We're talking about self-righteous people who looked at Jesus Christ and said it was a horrible thing for him to be spending his life with sinners because his companions were fishermen, publicans, and harlots. But these religious people who like to pat themselves on their backs as being righteous, they were righteous only in their own eyes, resented him for that. And so we have the whole Luke 15 blasting that spirit. First of all, Jesus said to them, and it's formed in a question. It's a parabolic question. What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? He knew that these Pharisees, if they were shepherds and they lost a sheep, would get the ninety-nine secure and take off for the one. And so Jesus is pointing out, that's what I'm doing. I'm going after the one. I'm going after those that are lost. Now, I want you to know that there were not 99 Pharisees that were righteous. (laughs) There were 99 Pharisees that were self-righteous. Jesus is pointing out the fact that his ministry was for losers. His ministry was for sinners. His ministry was for those that were lost, not those that thought they were found. The Pharisees didn't think they needed to be sought and saved by Jesus. They thought they were already in the fold. We're children of Abraham. We worship Moses. We're his disciples. Sorry. As John the Baptist said to them, God is able to raise up of these stones children to Abraham. And then we have the lost coin. What woman, if she has ten coins and she loses one of them, doesn't put the nine down and go search the whole house with a broom and a dustpan carefully looking everywhere for her lost coin. And so Jesus comes looking for his lost coins. Every single one of us he will find. He is a great shepherd, and we go to him. And every single one of you and me must go to him today. Going to him is a daily event. The truth be told, it's more often than that, isn't it? It's going to him throughout the day and staying with him. And whenever we slip away, pursuing him once again, that's the life of living a spiritually minded life where we're seeking spiritual things to be with Christ always. And he will receive us over and over again. He lets us start over with him. Praise his holy name. I want you to remember that Luke 15 was written to condemn the spirit of Pharisees. So that when we get to the third parable in Luke 15 about the prodigal son, the emphasis is not on the prodigal. As far as the lesson is concerned, the emphasis is on that wicked brother that came in from the field and resented the celebration for the prodigal. Jesus wants you to know from Luke 15, here in the first 10 verses, that the angels in heaven rejoice 
over one sinner that repents. More than over 99 just persons who do not need repentance. Is there such a thing as 99? No, there is not. No, there is not. There are 99 people who think they don't need repentance, who think they are already righteous. And so Jesus is condemning them. But heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents. When someone repents to us in our flesh, we do not necessarily rejoice and celebrate. We usually like to make sure they understand fully how they should repent to us. We want to make sure that they've really got it down. They're not going to do that one again. We want to get our pound of flesh many times. I'm talking about our foolish flesh. I want to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come to him, the angels in heaven rejoice. That's a wonderful difference between men and the Savior. Look at Luke 18. Luke 18. Let's read a little bit more about one of those Pharisees that didn't need to repent. He's already in the fold. Look what he says about himself. They're always talking about themselves. Luke 18 and verse 9. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Are we all in the same wavelength now? Does that verse help? He spake this parable unto those that thought they were righteous and despised others. Not truly righteous. These men needed to repent more than the harlots. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. It didn't go far, did it? He's praying with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Shall be exalted. Isn't that wonderful? If we will humble humble ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be exalted. We'll be put in a white horse that's behind him, in the army of the company that follows him, and we'll be put close to him if we'll humble ourselves now. And that is just going worthless, hopeless, I do not know. I have failed. I am a sinner. I am a loser. Lord, save me by your power. Use me by your strength. And he'll exalt you. You go in the spirit of this man. I'm glad I don't sin like some of the people in this church. Man, I can't believe how some of the people live. Their failures are written all over the, the wall. To ever have a thought like that, the Lord's going to put you down. He's going to put you down and you're going to starve to death if you're a child of his. You will starve to death because he will never come and feed you. There will never be any fellowship. You'll never see the inside of his pavilion. You'll be out there getting all smoky around the campfires instead of being in with the king of kings because he will humble those who exalt themselves. And so the purpose for this is for us to come to him as we are and to humble ourselves and he'll exalt us. 
Isn't the Bible teach us that in many places? Amen. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he'll exalt you in due time. He will. What a precious Savior. And he teach now, brethren, what if we had to be the Pharisee and we had to be able to pray to God, God, I thank thee that I am better than others. I have never committed adultery. Let's see here. I've never been an extortioner. I've never been unjust in all my dealings. I fast twice every week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. What if we had to come to God on those terms? Where you had to pray to God, and in sincerity and in truth, come to Him that way. Would any of us ever get there? None of us would ever get there. If you think you could get there, you are that Pharisee. That would be a high standard. Now see, in our way of thinking, that's what a Christian ought to be like. Yes! We fast twice every week, we pay tithes of everything that we own, and we never sin. Who's throwing that little dart at you? Satan is. What does Jesus want to throw to you? He wants to throw you a lifeline that says, if you can come to me this way, God be merciful to me, a sinner. That company I can join. And that's the company that Jesus said goes down to their house justified. Am I plain enough this morning? Do you understand the difference? Our flesh likes the first category. The whole religious world likes the first category. Well, they're kind of compromising these days because carnal Christianity is their choice. Now they don't really care if you pray at all. Come as you are. But here's the difference. I hope that you can look at that one category and realize you could never pray that way because it wouldn't be true. And I hope you understand that you should never pray that way because it's not the way we come to Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let me remind you of that glorious statement where Paul said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Is there going to be something that's going to keep us from accepting that statement? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners? The devil wants to tell us that Christ Jesus came into the world to save good people. Christ Jesus came into the world to save those that can easily persevere in the faith. The Bible says Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and Paul wants us to know by the Spirit, this is a faithful saying, and this is worthy of all acceptation. That means you should accept these words. Christ Jesus came for sinners. Because if we're going to go to Jesus today, into his tabernacle, into his secret tabernacle, for, for fellowship with him. We have to come as a sinner. We don't come to the door of his tent and ring the bell and say, Lord, I'm here. He comes to us. He knows that we want to be in that pavilion. He comes to us and he'll take us inside. Amen. But we come as sinners. And Paul came to him as the chief of sinners. And let me remind you that God saved Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was the most wicked man in the whole New Testament. And God saved Saul of Tarsus to give an example of how he saved men so that no one could ever come after Paul or Saul and say, I'm too much of a sinner. The Lord can't save me. The antidote to what we're talking about this morning is right here in 1 Timothy chapter 1. 
Verse 15 is where it is said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom, out of all those sinners, I am the chief one. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first, I was the worst, I was the greatest sinner, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. That is why Saul of Tarsus was saved. For us to have an example that if God could save Saul, he can save us. If Jesus, did Jesus seek out Saul of Tarsus? Did he? Where was Saul when Jesus sought him? On the way to persecute the church on the road to Damascus. But had Jesus sought Paul before that? Had he ever pricked Saul of Tarsus before that? Did Saul of Tarsus sit with some coats one time and hear the most magnificent sermon he had ever heard preached by a deacon named Stephen? Did that man, Stephen, at the end of that sermon, when the rest of the Pharisees stopped up their ears, they did not want to hear what Stephen was preaching and ran upon him to stone him, did that man ask for their forgiveness? Was his face shining like an angel? Did he see Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of God? Amen. Did Paul have a conscience? Yes. Paul said he had, made, he had lived faithful to his conscience his entire life. Did he have a conscience? His conscience started to plague him. The Bible says it was a prick from the goad of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first words of Jesus to Paul on the road to Damascus, Saul, Saul, why kickest thou against the pricks? Amen. Who sought whom? Paul, Saul wasn't seeking Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ sought him. Right. What a wonderful thing. Yes. What a wonderful thing. The greatest of sinners. The enemy of the church. Yes, we can read all those passages in the book of Psalms where it says, and let the angel of the Lord chase them. But it was the angel of the Lord seeking him through the Lord Jesus Christ and struck him down on the road to Damascus. What if Jesus had not come after Saul? Would Saul have eventually made it to Jesus? No. He struck him down and said, I've appeared to you for a purpose. You're going to be my greatest apostle. Now get ready. Go into the city and wait a few days. Get baptized. And what, is it, what, what did he do immediately after being baptized? It says they gave him some meat so that he would strengthen because he didn't eat a thing for three days and three nights. And he walked out of that house and said, where's the synagogue? Let me loose. And he preached. Saul of Tarsus, as a living example to all of us that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. But a wonderful point that Saul was saved and wherever he went, everyone knew that he was the enemy of the saints. But the Lord had saved him to give us an example. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. But we kick sometimes, don't we? How foolish. When someone else is holding the long pole with the sharp point on the end, how foolish for us when we feel it to kick back. What does that mean the next poke's going to be like? A little harder. Isn't that, isn't that stupid? Yep. And the Bible, this is a proverb, to kick against the pricks. is a well-known proverb in Greek language, and the Bible uses it right here because Paul was kicking against the pricks of Jesus Christ. How could you listen to Stephen's sermon? You go back and listen to that, read that sermon in Acts chapter 7. How could you listen to that sermon See his face shining like an angel. Know that he was an untrained man, 
unloading, unloading, excuse that, unloading the history of the Old Testament on those people, seeing Jesus in heaven and asking for forgiveness as big stones are crushing his body. Would you be pricked? Only if the Lord gave you a soft heart. Otherwise, you would say, that just proves that man was crazy. Thank you, Lord, for saving Saul of Tarsus. Orville, thank you for last Sunday evening and reminding everyone of another loser. What was the loser that Orville told you about last Sunday night while I was outside the door? Rahab, what was her profession? Rahab the harlot, what was her nationality? A Canaanite. What was supposed to happen to all the Canaanites? They were supposed to be destroyed, man, woman, and child. And she was saved. She and her father's house, her brothers and her sisters were saved. And she became the great-great-grandfather of David and the line of our Lord Jesus Christ. She's in Hebrews 11. She's in James 2, where she's compared one-on-one with Abraham as being an example of justified by her works. Because she put her life in her hand to save those spies alive, because she knew that the God of Israel was very different from the God of Jericho. Isn't that wonderful? She was the great-great-grandmother of David. She's in the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. I I told you last Sunday that when you go to Matthew 1 and you're reading down through the genealogy of our Savior, you see four women. Tamar, she seduced her father-in-law. Her offspring was by her father-in-law. We see Rahab the harlot. We see Ruth the Moabitess. We see Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. God showing the women that he's able to use in the line of his own son. How precious for losers who want to come to Jesus Christ. Look at Mark chapter 5, and let's look at another one. Mark chapter 5. How did how did the Lord Jesus Christ, in his pre-incarnate state as the Word of God, seek out Rahab? Those spies entered that city. We don't know if the population of Jericho was 10,000 or 100,000. But when they entered that city, they had to make a choice. We're here to spy it out. Where do we hide? Are we going to hide in the bylow? Are we going to go to Walmart and hide under the clothes? Or are we going to go look for a prostitute's house? Because that's where men come and go and no one asks very many questions. Right? Well, now, they chose the right one, didn't they? Who was directing all of that? The great God of heaven was directing them in all of their choices right down to Rahab the harlot. And she was saved alive. Amazing. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Who can't come to Jesus Christ if Rahab the harlot was chosen? And why is that in the Bible? To comfort. Do you know what the Bible says? The things that were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Hopelessness. Hopelessness is one of the devil's number one tools. Hopelessness. For you to feel defeated, that you cannot be victorious, that you cannot amount to anything, and that your life hasn't amounted to much so far, if you even think those thoughts, because you are a child of the king, he has won. God the Father has adopted you and Jesus Christ saved you, and you're walking through life thinking, I'm a loser. Do you know what he's done? He has ruined your worship of God. Because he has made you hopeless. 
And the Bible is written to give us hope. We can go to him just as we are. And he can make something of us. Did he make something of Saul of Tarsus? Who could make anything of the worst persecutor of the church? How could you make anything out of a harlot? How about a little shrimp that stole everything from everyone? Like Zacchaeus. How about fishermen? Jesus did it all. Did you hear me? Hopelessness is a tool of the devil. If the devil can get you to feel hopeless about your life and about yourself, he has won. Because then you are not full of praise, thanksgiving, and joy before God. You are not living a victorious Christian life. And when you sin, you just say, well, I knew I was going to anyway because I'm just a loser. The devil has talked you into allowing sin in your life because you're a loser when in fact you're a child of the king. And you must remember your position as the son of God or the daughter of God and not ever stoop to that. You can be cast down, but if you're going to be cast down, then you be cast down as a child of the king. Don't get cast down as a loser that can never live for him. He's looking for such. Because if you come to him with glory, he doesn't want you. He wants you coming helpless so that he can get the glory out of what he does in your life. Don't you understand that? Do you know every time Saul walked into a congregation of saints where the last time he had been in town, he killed some of them? Do you know what joy that would have brought in praise to God? Look what the Lord has done with Saul of Tarsus. Do you know the news would have spread like wildfire? They couldn't believe it for a while. But then when there was enough confirming witnesses, they couldn't believe. Look what the Lord has done with Saul. And that's what he wants to do with us. So when we go to him worthless, helpless, hopeless, he's able to do something with us. Here's a poor woman, Mark chapter 5. We came to Mark 5 last Lord's Day and looked at the Gadarene in the first 20 verses. But now we come to verse 24 and it says, Jesus went with him and much people followed him. He's going with Jairus, whose daughter is very ill. Jesus went with him in verse 24. Much people followed him and thronged him. I mean, this crowd is just elbowing and pushing around him because they all want to get to Jesus. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years. I hope that that's well understood in here. An issue of blood that lasted perpetually, continually for 12 years. A few days is bad enough, but 12 years is a long time. And the Bible wants you to know that. And had suffered many things of many physicians. And had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. That is a loser. This is a woman who's falling apart from the inside out. She's had an issue of blood for 12 years. She's gone to all the doctors, and all the doctors have not made her better. They've made her worse. And to go to those doctors, she had to spend all the money that she had, so she has no more money. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. She reached through a few arms and elbows and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes... I shall be whole. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up. Oh, cauterization. You want to talk about cauterization by the two-edged sword of the Son of God? Dry up. And, and brethren, I want to tell you, the Lord that can dry up the Red Sea so that they went through on dry ground, dried up that woman in the moment she touched that garment. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Would that be the most wonderful, fantastic feeling to know that all the... 
sudden your insides were all taken care of. Glory to God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? The disciples responded the way we would. And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. Oh, brother, are you with me? This woman was fearful. Do you know what a person is who's afraid? They're a loser. She's lost from doctors. She's lost with herself. She has no confidence to go to the Lord. She's afraid. And now she's withdrawing herself, knowing that she's been healed. But there's a Savior. Would you please step aside here? You know, she wasn't visible, or she wouldn't have had to reach through to touch his garment. And he moves a few people away, and he finds her. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, daughter, not loser, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. I hope you love the Savior this morning. I hope you know that you can go to him just like that. She was afraid to go to him openly. Now Jairus came to him. This woman was afraid to go to him openly, but he rewarded her openly, and he called her daughter openly, and he healed her completely. Why can't we go today, all of us, just as we are? He'll heal us of our plague. And we have one that needs to be healed worse than any issue of blood. It's an issue of sin that comes forth from our old man that we want to be healed from every day of our lives. And to be strengthened with might in our inner man, not dried up of blood, but strengthened with might in our inner man to be the joyful, victorious, hope-filled Christians that we ought to be. Matthew 15. Matthew 15. How many times was the Canaanite woman? How many ways can we look at her and say she was a loser? I see four big ones. Was she a Canaanite? To come to a Jew, a a prophet of the Jews, Jesus of Nazareth, were her hopes slim from her standpoint? Matthew 15, and at verse 21, Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Was she saying, Lord, I thank thee that I am not like other men? No. Was she saying, Lord, have mercy on me? Yeah. You think she's going to get answered? Yeah. You think there's a pretty good probability? First of all, she's a Canaanite. Verse 23 tells us, but he answered her not a word. The second thing is her prayer is not answered. He ignores it. And he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. The other religious people make her feel bad that she ought to go away because she's not wanted. I don't have time to go too slow. I hope that you're able to follow well and and put yourself in this poor woman's shoes and know that what kind of a Savior that we're dealing with because the purpose of this 
is for us all to go to him today. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but in the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He does answer her finally, I'm not sent for you Canaanites. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. He calls her a dog. Five. I added in the Canaanite part. Five. And she said, Truth, Lord, I am a dog. Are you with me? Truth, Lord, I am a dog. I do not have rights at your table. I am not a child of your kingdom. Yet, Lord, do dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table? Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. At some distance away, a spirit came ripping out of a little daughter because Jesus Christ had said, Your daughter is made whole. But I want you to see that though she was discouraged and though there were many obstacles raised against her, and these obstacles are given us as a, given to us as a lesson. Right. Others will say that we're not worthy of coming to him. We won't feel worthy. Jesus made an answer our prayers immediately. He will always answer the prayers of his faithful. And who come to him saying, Truth, Lord, I am a dog. The answer may not always be what you pray, but you will be answered. He will come to you. I would say that the grace that he gave the Apostle Paul was greater than taking away the thorn of the flesh, because if that's the choice that God made for Paul, and if Paul got excited about it and celebrated it, I would say that what he did for Paul was better than giving him what he asked on those two counts, that that was God's choice and Paul got excited about it. He will answer the prayers, but I want you to notice truth. Lord, there is no coming to God and saying that you are anything or that you have anything to offer. It's coming. You're right. I'm a dog. But then, do you have a little bit for me? Could there be some crumbs? What a wonderful lesson for us. In Acts chapter 16, do we read about a hardened and hopeless Roman jailer? Do we read that he was so hardened that he took men who had done nothing but preach the gospel and beat them and bleed them and without fixing their wounds put them naked into the inner prison and put their feet in stocks? Is that a hard man? Do we read that in the middle of a storm thinking the prisoners had escaped, he grabbed his sword and was going to kill himself? Is that a hopeless man? Did someone come after him? Why that jail? Why that shift? Why that city? Why the Apostle Paul? Because Jesus Christ came after that jailer. Amen. Where what was that jailer doing the next morning? He was singing right. the next morning. Because all night long he had the word of God preached to him. He bathed those apostles and he fed them a meal. And he rejoiced with all of his house. Because Jesus of Nazareth could reach down even into a jail in the city of Philippi of Macedonia. Some of you may have read John chapter 9 last night. Did you read John chapter 9, the first couple of verses? In John chapter 9, did it tell you that a blind man went seeking out Jesus? Be careful with your pastor. 
Or in John chapter 9, did it say that Jesus was passing by and he saw the blind man? Right. Who went seeking whom? Did the blind man go seeking Jesus or did Jesus go seeking the blind man? Amen. Jesus went seeking the blind man. And it says, as he passed by. As he passed by. Do you think that Jesus Christ looking out the window as he passes by is going to miss something? He saw that blind man. And he went and he healed that blind man. And that's a study of its own. He went and healed that blind man. That blind man was kicked out by everyone else. Everybody wanted to know who did this and how they do it and asked him over and over again. And because he just gave the simplest plain answers, they threw him out of the synagogue. So who went seeking him again? Brother, are you with me? Amen. Did someone go seeking him again? Several hours later, because parents had to be brought, it could have been a day later. We don't, it, it was a good period of time. Jesus went seeking him again. Do you believe on the Son of God? Who is he, Lord? That I can believe on him. He it is that speaketh to thee. And he worshipped him. John chapter 9. He went after him twice. He sought him twice. I love it when he heals a leper in Matthew chapter 8. The leper said, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus said, I will. And he touched him. If you ever feel like I'm the untouchable, were lepers untouchable? Yeah. If you touched a leper, what were you going what was likely to happen? You were going to have leprosy. Jesus touched him. Why does the Bible tell us that? Because Jesus will touch the untouchables and heal them. Amen. You can come to Jesus Christ as you are. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at this church at Corinth. Look at this church. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. We often come into this verse, almost always, through the top end, the beginning of verse 9. And we forget what it's really telling us by coming out the back door of verse 11. But today we want to catch what's at the last part of verses, verse 11. But let's start at 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Don't lie to yourself. These kind of men do not inherit God's king kingdom. These kind of men are not in heaven. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The city of Corinth was like Las Vegas or San Francisco is to us. It was a horribly lascivious, wicked city. You can go read about it. They coined verbs to Corinthianize someone was to corrupt them. It was a horrible place. Two words of verse 11. And such were some of you, but Jesus of Nazareth came looking for them. He came to seek and to save those that were lost. And look at what he saved. Are you as good as this group of people? He can save you. Are you as bad as this group of people? He can save you. Right. 
What a blessing. Remember last Lord's Day, I pointed out that David was a loser. You say, but David was a king. Oh, what a miserable king. Look at his children. He was chased most of his adult life. And look what his sons did. Incest, rape, murder, murder again, sedition, sedition again, revolt, taking David's wives in public. On and on it goes. 70,000 men dead. Uzzah dead because he moved the ark the wrong way. And on it goes. On his deathbed, he has to say, although my house be not so with God, I do not have a godly family that rules the way that they should. He had to say that. He commits adultery and murders one of his best friends. One of his 37 chosen men, he murders him. David, a loser. But did Jesus Christ come and seek David? Why did Nathan the prophet walk through that door one day and come into Nathan's presence and tell Nathan and tell David a story? And then point his finger at David and say, Thou art the man. And the Lord Jesus Christ give grace to hear that message Amen. and to respond to it the right way. Right. I have sinned against the Lord. Immediately. And David is lifted up to us throughout the pages of Scripture as one of God's favorites. But what a loser. But God saved him and sent the prophet Nathan after him and recovered him. What a blessed life he had, though it was a miserable life. David could write better than we could ever write. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Amen. He died in his deathbed with Solomon there to be the king that God loved. Blessed indeed. Some of you may have read John 4. Did Jesus come after a Samaritan woman? Amen. She, was she quite a loser with men? Did she meet a man with whom she didn't lose? I mean, seriously. Was she a loser with men? Had she married five times? No one in here has got that kind of pain. And she was with number six, and he wouldn't even marry her. But she met another man, didn't she? And he said to her, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask for everlasting water. Like you'd ask for water that, would, that you'd never thirst from again. And she did before that day was over, didn't she? Mm -hmm. She brought her whole town out to hear him. Right. Why did Jesus go to the Samaritans when he had told his disciples that we are to go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Why did he tell his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, I want you to be witnesses unto me first in Jerusalem and then in Judea, then in Samaria? Why did he go to Samaria way back in John 4? Because when he's got someone to go seek and to save, he goes after them. He can make exceptions to his rules anytime he wants to. I'm thankful. Amen. You children. Are you afraid that Jesus Christ doesn't really have a place for you because you're too young? You're not important like your parents? Do you think I have a word for you? 
Are you too young for Jesus to care about you? Turn to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Do you think you're too young? Well, you can't be very important compared to your dad, can you? Do you think Jesus Christ cares about you? Just by yourself? I want every child in here to go to Jesus Christ today in your heart. Look at this. Matthew 18. At the same verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. A little child. And said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Is every, is every young child in here listening to me? Is every young child listening to me? Are you important to Jesus Christ? If you're old enough to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you're old enough to be very important to Jesus Christ. And every one of us adults in here, if we don't become like you, we will never be accepted into the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that amazing? Amen. Do you know what Jesus, do you know the question that Jesus was answering when he brought, when he called a little child to come over to him? The question was, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Because children can come without all the baggage. Children can come without the malice. Children can come in simple faith. And we all better go that way. But a child can do it more easily. Go to him. Go to him right now. Let him into your heart. Flee to him. Tell the Lord Jesus Christ, you have told me this day that I ought to seek your face. I am seeking your face right now. I want your face and don't hide your face from me. You can go. But we're not done. Verse 10. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Wow. Let me read that again to you. Were you listening? All of you children, listen to this. Take heed. He is talking to his disciples. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. Don't you dare make fun of or resent one of my little ones that believe on me. One of the six-year-olds. Don't you dare ever resent or despise an eight-year-old. For I say unto you, this is Jesus speaking, is it in the red print in your Bible, children? In Matthew 18 and verse 10, that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Every child has in heaven angels that behold the face of God the Father. And they are standing there ready, willing, and able to do anything that God sends them to do to help you. That is how important you are in the kingdom of heaven. You can come to Jesus Christ. 
Age has nothing to do with it. I've tried to comfort you women. There's a Savior for all of us. And I've tried to comfort the big sinners like myself. The Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Verse 11. Isn't that wonderful? Verse 14. Even so it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And if it's not the will of his Father in heaven for one of these little ones to perish, how many of them will perish? None. None. Brethren, if you confess your sins, do you believe he's faithful and just to forgive them? Do you really believe that? Do you believe you can confess them right now and be forgiven completely right now? Not only is he faithful and just, he loves great sinners. I've tried to show you that. Can you look around and realize that he hasn't chosen the wise, the rich, the mighty, and the noble of this world, but he's chosen the foolish, the poor, the base, and those things that are not? Can you put yourself in that category? What if we had to make ourselves wise, noble, mighty, and rich? Then it would be hard to be accepted by Jesus. But you know what? He saves those that are poor, foolish, base, and despised. Can you handle that one? Can you handle that? He wants to save those kind because he gets all the glory. If he can save, if the the army in heaven is made up of all the despised members of this world and the rich and the mighty and the noble are cast into hell, who is going to get the glory in that day? He is going to get all of it. And that's exactly what he tells us in 1 Corinthians 1. I have chosen the base things of this world to bring to naught the things that are. Those people that think there's something, I'll bring them to nothing. So that everyone that glories, he glories in the Lord. Do you believe that you're the sons of God? You should believe that you're the child of God and live like it. Don't let the devil tell you anything different. Do you know why he doesn't want you to believe you're a child of God? Because he isn't. You're going to be put far over him in the Lord Jesus Christ in that great day and he cannot stand that. Should we be living joyfully for him? Since he saved us as we are. We didn't have to earn our salvation. We didn't work it out. We didn't work it in the sense of having to come to him on terms. We came to him as sinners and he saved us. It should fill us with joy. And we should love to sing his praise. Can you be as forgiving to others as he's been forgiving to you? When somebody sins against us, can we laugh it off? Can we ignore it? Can we pray for them? Can we feed them when they're hungry? And give them drink when they're thirsty. As one of our Proverbs taught us this past week. Should we be respecters of persons? Should we make a difference if anyone comes in this assembly? Between those that are well dressed and those that are poorly dressed? James tells us in James chapter 2. Don't you dare do such a thing. It's the the rich that haul you before the, the magistrates and have you whipped. And it's the poor that God has chosen rich in faith. Should we have some performance in our lives for him who loved us as we were? The love of Christ constraineth me, Paul said. Jesus may have saved me as the chief of sinners, but now I want to labor more abundantly than they all. Isn't that the reaction we ought to have? Isn't that Paul? That was Paul's. If he's the pattern, he was saved as the chiefest of sinners, but who burned his whole life out for the sake of Jesus Christ? Saul of Tarsus did. Should you want to acquaint yourself with him? Is there something ugly about this 
Savior that I've presented this morning? Is there some reason you don't want to go to him? Or do the words of Job sound pretty good? Acquaint now thyself with him. How would you like to be acquainted with the Savior that I've told you about? Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. Did you hear the whole verse? Did you hear the whole verse? Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. He said, seek my face. Thy face, Lord, will I seek. We should not try to increase in value to him. We should try to increase his value through us. John said, I must decrease. He must increase. Amen. Is that what, how you want to respond this morning? Amen. To lift him up ever higher and to be ever lower yourself? We better hate the self-righteous spirit of the Pharisees who don't want to accept sinners. Let it never touch, taint, or spot this church. It is rampant. It was rampant in the days of Christ, and it's rampant today. Let it never come in here. Let us love sinners, and let us love seeing them repent, and let's rejoice with the angels in heaven over one sinner that repents. He doesn't just love losers in general, brethren. He loves losers individually considered, every one of you, one at a time. He has your name written in the book of life and engraved in the palms of his hands. Don't just believe that what I've told you is generally true. <laughs> believe what I've told you is personally true. Right. He has more than enough of a soul to love all of us. He has more than enough of omniscient knowledge to find all of us, to seek and to save every single one of us. Jesus stands at the door. I am his little unworthy servant. But my message is simple. I must preach this book. And it tells me, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and will open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. If you want to go to the pavilion of the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, the blessed and only potentate, the lover of your soul, whatever you want to call him. He's all of those things and more. He is knocking today. And every day we should realize he is knocking because he will take us to a more secret tabernacle if we will but open the door and go to him as sinners, repenting of our sins and choosing Jesus Christ for our everlasting companion. Are you a sinner this morning? I'm not telling you how to get born again. I'm telling you where to go because you are born again. That's the fleet of Jesus Christ. You can come to him right now just as you are without improving anything at all, without any gift. Go to him now. He will accept you and receive you and you can have fellowship with him, the Lord of glory. He was on earth once, brethren, but greater are those that believe who have not seen. That the Savior that I've pictured for you last Sunday and this Sunday is true, certainly true. But he will receive you just as he received all of them. Go to him today, and may this church grow in grace and the fellowship and relationship with Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.